0: Welcome to the Fairview Church podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. got called out of the bullpen last night. Uh, Brant has the flu bug. And you know, I we love these little grandkids, right? We would do anything for them, but they do bring home germs and bugs and whatnot, and it goes right to us adults and but not. But apparently, I don't know for sure that that happened. But anyway, Brants at home. So we were Patty and I were down in Huntsville. Some of you know this. The the great news is we have two daughters-in-law right now. That's the the really great news. We went down to see our newest daughter-in-law, and, and oh yeah, my son was there too, but he's sort of incidental. And um, But it's doubled my workload, and this, this new daughter-in-law is a very creative, artistic, visionary person, has all kinds of ideas, and she decided she wanted a bed swing on the back porch, a twin-sized bed swing. Apparently, she grew up with one of these on their farm, and uh, the, the problem is you just can't hang a bed swing from a vinyl porch, right? So you have to go in and do all the infrastructure. And so Blake and I, uh, we we were doing that. And then we got the phone call about Brant being sick. So anyway, for those of you that are new to this church, or you might be watching online, I am not the pastor. He is a much better looking and superior version of me. So praise God for that, but uh, he's homesick. So anyway, here we are. Uh, Thanks to John Wiley and Tim for our small group. Uh, They uh, turned the small group time earlier. I was due. To, I was supposed to teach. They turned it into uh, a, a, what you might call a Baptist type event: uh, food and fellowship. So I went in there. There was no food left. I, I thought somebody might leave me something, but anyway, all of that is to say, uh, our pastor's sick. Uh, please come back when he's here, or or come back online when he's here. So uh, he. He was hopeful I could kind of stay in the general theme of the series, which is called flourishing. If you've been listening and been here, you know what that is about. He's taken the idea of shalom, uh, a much more comprehensive understanding of what shalom means. We're all familiar with the term shalom, means peace, but but it's 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 much deeper and broader than we typically think it is. And he's been unpacking that in a very meaningful way. And so I'm I'm, I'm not gonna be able to deliver partly due to lack of time, partly I just don't have that same kind of ability. Bran is an artist with words. and um, But I'm gonna try to stay somewhat in the theme of shalom because what comes to my mind is peace and unity would for sure be part of the general idea of flourishing, right? Uh, uh, a marriage that has peace and unity uh, can flourish. A home, a business, a church for sure, right? And so flourishing depends on a healthy culture, right? We'll talk about that as we go. So um, I did some real quick work. I was disappointed in myself. I thought, you know, one of my favorite passages, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, Philippians, uh, my wife uh, has years ago memorized Philippians and there've been many mornings that uh, I'd walk through the bathroom and she'd be in there doing you know, whatever she does in there for very long periods of time. And um, she would be quoting Philippians, the whole the whole book. And so I've heard that over and over again. I think it's the whole book. Uh, but anyway, Philippians 2 is a wonderful passage. And I went in to look at my res- uh, reservoir of work and I really didn't have anything on Philippians 2 verses 1 and 2, those two verses in particular. So so this is kind of thrown together, but but uh, God's word, I, I will pray for it to be effective regardless. And now I had Sue Wallace came up. So many of you know Sue. They're long-term members of this church. And she came up. I think she was trying to compliment me after the first service. Talked about getting writer's cramp. So maybe that wasn't a compliment. Maybe it was, I, I tend to throw a lot of hay. If you'll, I grew up on a ranch, so bear with the agricultural analogy. I tend to throw the whole bale of hay out there, so uh, good luck on taking notes, but uh, the important thing is to zero in on one or two ideas, okay, that might be relevant for you. Okay, let's just pray and ask for that. Lord, I thank you for this gathered fellowship, your body of believers, Uh, what a joy it is, The, the whole idea of creating the church that launched in the book of Acts, and as we've studied that, and We're thankful that we're part of extending that that kingdom on earth, if you will. We thank you for that privilege, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, We're not going to be dealing with just one passage, but I, but um, over the years, I've taught uh, pastors and staff members, uh, trying to help prepare them for the ministry that will uh, be in front of them when they graduate and go into churches and. Most are not well prepared, really, for that reality. Uh, It's a big task. And so one of the subjects we talk about is what we would call managing conflict. And uh, because, you know, there's this side of heaven, we're all sinners, and we bring that into our churches sometimes, okay? And so conflict is part of what a leader has to um, be prepared to respond to in a healthy manner. And so I have some preliminary comments I'll throw up there. I appreciate Kim this morning. Like I said, I had to throw this together, but she managed to get it ready for us today. So I have a few preliminary uh, comments on this whole idea of peace and unity and conflict and conflict avoidance, that kind of thing. Not avoidance, but uh, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But number one under general clarity is uh, Jesus expected the birth of the church. And the expansion of his kingdom. But he also knew there would be opposition and division. Now just think back. I, I hope I'm one of the people that's a fan of the Chosen series. I, you know, I, I think it's very well done. Uh, and they, obviously there's some human imagination in there. Because the Bible doesn't tell us everything, right? Um, but the idea of you can see in that television series. How the producers and the writers understood that these disciples were mere humans right they had they brought even though Christ transformed them with the gospel, uh, they still brought their personalities and their quirks, and they were still sinners, right, and they do a really good job, I think, in that series of dealing with some of those realities and so it 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 was to be expected, and it wasn 't just their own uh, individual issues and sin tendencies, right, which we 'll talk about more than once this morning. But it's also, they understood there was a warfare. They were stepping into a major, all-out warfare, okay, spiritual warfare. And the reality is that, we, you know, I, I shared with the, those in the first service that, that, that when it comes to spiritual warfare and Satan in the demonic arena, I think there's two, from what I've observed over the years, there's two uh, things to avoid, One is that sort of extreme over here, unnecessary fear of the enemy um, and the idea that there's a demon behind every bush sort of thing, right? Um, But the opposite problem, which may be more common in churches, is to forget the fact that the Bible speaks repeatedly that we are in a warfare. First Peter talks about Satan is like a roaring lion seeking to devour whomever he can, right? So, Somewhere in the middle there is a real biblical path about understanding warfare. And so we would be foolish as a church to think that there's not going to be casualties of war here, right? Or, or attempts to thwart the work of God in your life or in the life of this church. Uh, number three, we must all fight our basic selfish nature, right? Um, you know, talk to anybody that's married for any length of time and you'll probably hear them say, I know for sure for me, um, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I, was, I got married. And there's just way more opportunity for that to, to ex- be exposed, right? When you're living right beside somebody in and out and dealing with life and making decisions and whatnot. And so we, we have to realize that that is always lurking Right, That's always lurking the potential for our selfishness to, um, you know, you think of the Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. And you could probably try to spin that positively that he, you know, he worked hard and caught his own vision for the future. You could also look at that as a selfish sort of, I'm gonna do it my way. I don't know how you meant it, but anyway. Number four, churches should set high standards related to unity of purpose, beliefs, and culture. We'll unpack a little bit of that here in a minute. Now, let me just do a quick caveat. Sometimes when you hear pastors preach sermons on peace and unity, or especially if somebody from the outside comes in, you might think, "Uh uh-oh, there's a problem in the church and they're trying to address it however they can. That is not the case. I mean, all these truths apply to us, of course, okay? But this topic isn't based on Any sense that there's a fire brewing in this midst, Um, not that I'm aware of. Okay, Um, and so that's that's not the agenda here. But we want to. This church has been characterized by, I think, a spirit of love and friendliness and warmth, and we want to continue that. And we have to be vigilant in that task. Okay, now there are a lot of. I'm throwing in some favorite verses, and some of you've heard me always. I'm going to get Tim Founts. Be prepared right now. He knows what I'm going to talk about. Okay, Patty and I are doing these legacy Bibles for our grandkids, and um, so we, we've we've looked on a whole bunch of topics and tried to pick our very favorite verses on any number of topics. Okay, and so you're about to get a, a, a little taste of my personal favorite verses on two topics: peace and unity. I don't expect you to jot all these down, although they're all fairly pithy, um, but I but i want to remind you that this that what you're about to see on the screen is god's eternal word it is from god it is about god it is directed to us as his followers it's way more important than anything any preacher will ever have to say so don't be over don't act over familiar with some of these verses that you're about to read look at them from the lens This is God himself communicating with us, okay? So here we go. John 17, there's a whole priestly prayer it's called where Jesus prayed for his disciples. It's very moving, it's very rich. I'm pulling out one little thread here. Holy Father, protect them, the disciples, okay? Uh, By your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Why Jesus prayed that way? Well, he knew, that their unity would be, would be jeopardized by themselves and the world around them. He prayed for their unity in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul said, Therefore, I, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you've received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Very, very strong language. One of the main things, if you're gonna take one, there there are a lot of things you maybe could take away from this morning, right? And only, I know God will speak to you and direct you, but one of the things that I would encourage you to take away is if you're a follower of Christ, and by the way, if you're not sure about that, we, we need to talk, okay? You need to talk to somebody, and we'll give an opportunity for that at the close of the service. But if you are a follower of Christ, it is your individual responsibility to protect the unity of this church. Absolutely. And you'll see that in this verse and others that we're about to read. Philippians 2, this is the passage where I thought for sure I would have some prior work done, but I couldn't find anything in my computer. Um, Philippians 2, 1 and 2, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, If any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. I mean, the Apostle Paul hammers it four times in there. So it is very, very, very important that we develop and cultivate and protect the unity of what the church is supposed to be about. Very important, and everybody is responsible for that. If you look on the peace side, so that's, those are statements about unity. Now we look at the peace side. There's a, a few pithy statements here. Uh, uh, I say pithy, they're short. They're eternally significant and powerful coming out of God's word about being a peacemaker or the importance of peace, right? brandt has been unpacking that for us. Very quickly, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God. That's from the Sermon on the Mount, If you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, do it. Several of you have. I remember standing over this outcropping, kind of up high, looking over the area where this likely took place, the Sermon on the Mount, and just thinking about the substantial impact of that sermon that Jesus gave us. Uh, Romans 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, that's you, you, and you, all of you, Live at peace with everyone. Now, in a minute, I'm gonna tell you about a dialogue I had with my wife on the way to church this morning. We live in Franklin, so we have a little bit of time in the car. And she drove. That'll that'll become important in a minute. Um, The next verse, Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and builds up one another. And notice the word pursue. It isn't a passive thing here. It talks about an intentionality where you determine in your spirit to pursue those things that build up the body of Christ and builds the unity of the body of Christ. And and then Hebrews 12, 14, very simple, pursue peace with everyone. Now this is where, so I'm over there reviewing uh, my notes on the the way here, Patty's driving. Uh, And I said, Patty, this, this pursue peace with everyone. I said, does it include people in the left lane? What do you think she said? Yes, yes? oh my goodness. Okay, so if you have to pursue peace with those in the left lane, I guess that kind of covers everything. Uh, by the way, but I, I will take this opportunity to try to coach you a little bit in case you're a left lane. You know what the left lane is for? Passing. Okay, thanks. I feel better. My Christian life will do better if everybody understands that. Okay, 1 Peter 3 10 and 11. This is the last verse here in this list of verses. For every, uh, I'm sorry, for the one who wants to love life and to see good days. Let me pause there. Is that you? Do you want to love life and see good days? I well, would we think so, right? Let him seek peace and pursue it. There were some other statements in between those phrases. You can look at them some other time, 1 Peter 3, 10, 11, but let him seek peace and pursue it. So you can see the level of intentionality here. This isn't just a passive thing where you kind of try to be a good person and encourage people and you hope along the way that even accidentally you're promoting the peace of the body of Christ. no it's way more intentional way more proactive than that and i'll have some ideas about that in a minute so those are the theological exegetical whatever biblical background i just cherry picked some verses but you can find others as well for sure but but those are that's very clear right it could not be clearer about unity and peace now there's some common mis conceptions about unity and peace, which we'll cover here uh, at this point in time. Now, this is just a small sample. So when I would teach on this subject to you know, these uh, students, uh, there's tons of stuff that I would throw at them, okay? This is just one flake of the bale of hay, so to speak. Okay, you ready? Uh, number one, expect conflict, disagreement, tension, and spiritual warfare. Warfare. Now, part of that was we'd say that to these young uh, seminarians coming out of college and they were all eager and ready to roll. And I remember I had a a crusty old uh, professor at Trinity Seminary in the uh, 1984, 85 era when Patty and I were in Chicago for a couple of years. And I took a leadership course with this guy and he'd been around the block a while, you know. And he looked out at us, all of us young, you know, wanna be, pastors. And he said, uh, you better figure out who the church bosses are. And I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute, time out. That's not in the Bible. Jesus is the boss of the church, right? He's the head, right? We all know that. But what he was trying to say was, let me tell you, he said, churches, just like other contexts, will have power players and people of influence some more godly than others, some with agendas. And he said, and sometimes they're, they can be very invisible. They can be quiet, but when they get home, they get on the phone. Well, today, that was way back when, 1984, you know, didn't have the internet or anything like that. But but today, it's texting or emailing or whatever. But, and they start to talk. And they wield their influence, okay, And not always in a healthy way. And so expect some of that. Now, the other thing I want to say, number two, the goal here is not 100% consensus in all matters. Um, I've done a few church consultations over the last uh, nine months or so. And one of the things that I've encountered, I've I've been dealing in in churches that have uh, elder boards, elder teams. And... uh, I've seen some of them, they pursue consensus about everything. And I've said, no. I said, that is not the standard. Uh, I, I would venture to say, and you might disagree with this, and it's fine if you if you do disagree with this, uh, and I'd be glad to talk to you, but you find a context where there's always, always consensus, you're going to find an autocrat. It's just, we're all different. Patty was... Praising God this morning, on the way over here for just the diversity of all the different kinds of people and interests and talents, and you know there is there is the diversity here, and and so we're going to see life differently, um, and and some of our expectations can be different, some of our preferences can be different. Not all conflict is bad. In fact, I think a lot of uh, leaders will tell you if they're honest. Sometimes their, their most meaningful enduring insights came out of a context of conflict. Even, even in a marriage relationship, things can be moving along and something erupts into a, a context of conflict. And, and, and that, if you don't allow it to spin in a sinful manner, but it could spark conversations where all of a sudden there's some real clarity about things that you didn't previously know expectations and feelings and whatnot, and it can actually make us stronger conflict can make ideas better ideas, okay? So we're not talking about an autocracy here or a dictatorship or expecting everybody to be just conformed to the very same thing in terms of preferences. No. Uh, Many, many, many generations ago, and at one time I think I tracked down the source of this, but Unity in essentials, tolerance in non-essentials, and love on all things. Now, that doesn't make everything just simple here because you still have to define, well, what are the essentials? Or what are the non-essentials? And and love in all things, what what does that mean? But it still gives us, I, I think, a bit of a framework for thinking about the fact that there will be differences and some of them are okay. And how do we how do we explain that and i'll i 'll bring another uh, point of clarity to that in a moment. so the next point is unity isn 't just a nebulous feeling for the sake of feeling good about uh, ourselves it 's for a purpose it allows us to be focused and be effective as a church. So we rally around some of these things. You already know this branch 's done a number of sermons on the mission and vision of the church and some of the purposes of the church. Some of you were part of that year-long, almost nine-month process of clarifying our DNA and who we are and what our values are. Uh, but So these are standard things here, but we rally around prayer. You know the old saying, some of you, a family that prays together stays together. There's something about praying together especially if it's not rushed and perfunctory. Uh, that's something I've enjoyed more so in this semi-retired state that I'm in now where I'm not having to get up early and fight the left laners getting downtown and back. Uh, but Patty and I have had more time to sit in the morning and do our studies and whatnot, but then we pray together. And that's been good for us, I think. And and uh, we've, you know, we Hopefully good for you. We've prayed for various ones of you in times of need. Uh, prayer, rally around prayer, purpose. We've already talked about that. Brant's already made a lot of those things known, you know, and there are documents on our website. What do, why do we exist? The most simple, quick summary of that is the great commandment. We will love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and love others. Uh, and, and then there's the Great Commission. There, so there are a handful of passages that bring real clarity as to what we should be about as a church, right? Making the gospel known, helping guide people who, who become followers of Christ, helping mature them and equip them. So we we can rally around the core purposes of the church. The, we can, the next is core doctrine. Now, okay, I, I want to work to be uh, understood here I love doctrine. I, I really do. I've always had. I have somewhat of an organized brain. I like categories, um, and so I was. I wanted to um, pursue systematic theology in seminary. I guess God wanted to protect the church from me, so He, he took me a different route. Um, but I, I, I love reading theology. You know, I know Mary Wiley's in here. She's written some stuff that I've heard really great things about. Others of you were that way. You just really love understanding the richness of God's word and putting it together in a way that makes sense for people. You know, we're even doing that class for our young kids, laying these theological truths for other people. I love that. I really do love that. But there's a word of caution here. It's pretty easy to love doctrine it's kind of hard to love each other. There's a big difference. And trust me, I've been around a lot of scholars and sometimes you don't get to feel that they've caught the real spirit of what it is they love. Uh, Al Mohler uses, uh, I'm I'm sure it's not original with him, but he helped uh, with this framework called the theological triage. Those of you in the medical world know the triage is, when you have one or more people come into the emergency room, you got to figure out what's going on and what are the most critical issues and who's the most sick and who needs help the most and, and, and whatnot. So that's triage. And so uh, using that framework, it's like, well, what? So that he, uh, when Al Moeller wrote this, he used a first order, second order, and third order. I may have talked about this before. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't, I barely, you you know, the joke, it's a sad joke and it's not true, but I like it anyways. I call my wife honey in the morning until I can remember her name. So I'm clearly not going to remember a sermon I've preached to you before. So bear with me if this is repetition. Um, First order, those are those theological truths we must, we would say, agree upon to consider each other saved. Right? You got that? It's mainly the gospel. Okay? We have some rather clear convictions around here about what does it mean to be a Christian. Okay? And, and so that's the, fir- that's the most important level by far. Eternally important. And as I said earlier, if you're not clear about that, you really need to be clear about that. The, the consequences of that are eternally important. The second order would be things that we must agree upon probably to be in the same church, okay? The easy example there is baptism or the mode of baptism. For most churches, they're gonna wanna feel on the same page about baptism. We got to experience that. That was, that was great this morning um, to, to watch an adult be baptized, uh, professing Christ and, and uh, displaying that conversion through the, the symbolism of baptism, Uh, We're probably gonna wanna agree on that, right? To be in the same church, okay? And then the third order are going to be other things that could be important for sure, but we don't necessarily have to have total agreement on. And a lot of churches who get infiltrated with conflict, it's because they've taken the third order things and treated them as if they're first order things. Methods, programs, Well, we've always done it this way or that way. And and we have to be very careful when we start to elevate third order things to either second or third order level of importance. And my guess is we've all been guilty of that. If we had enough time to dialogue, I bet you we would all spot some things that we've elevated in importance beyond what it should be, okay? And churches get riddled with conflict over third order matters, historically. And it's really sad and it's unnecessary and it's avoidable, okay? So anyway, we, we have to rally around those things that are important. Now, a couple other comments and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll shut down. Uh, protection. We should rally around, I heard somebody just recently talk about, I think it was Tom Rayner, maybe, but uh, Safe Church the concept of a safe church. Obviously, it starts with physical safety. So we have people here at Fairview uh, every week that keep us physically safe. We, Beck and her team keep our kids safe. Isn't it nice to know you can drop your kid off with great confidence of the safety of those children? It's very important. But it goes beyond that even uh, to the idea of protecting each other from being led astray or believing something that's not true or solid. You know, we protect each other. And I like, so there's a pastor friend of mine in Birmingham, Alabama, by the name of Buddy Gray. Um, I kind of accidentally stumbled onto this one day. He was a trustee at Southern Seminary when I was a dean there. And I would, after I discovered this, I, every time he was on campus, I'd say, hey, I want you to come to my leadership class and I want you to explain this. And it was the way he approached his deacon ministry. And by the way, this is not me trying to be directional at all. I'm not the pastor. But I, the concept, though, I think you'll get. He said, you know, when we study Acts chapter 6, which is the foundation of deacons, the, the contextual issue at the time was the feeding of widows who were being neglected. Okay, very important. Um, you know, if we had that problem now, we'd want to take that seriously, right? But that's not the enduring principle of Acts chapter 6. The enduring principle is protecting the unity of the church because that specific problem was causing disunity in the church. And so Buddy Gray, based on that, said, hmm. So he took his deacons because they've struggled with their deacon ministry and what are the deacons supposed to do? And you can't, you know, no body of deacons is going to be good at one thing, and so there's always been issues with deacon ministry for a lot of churches. He said, You know what? I'm going to ask our deacons to be stormtroopers. You know what a stormtrooper is? They jump out of perfectly good airplanes to land into a hot zone in a forest fire and help fight the fire. Gutsy people. Stormtroopers. So he said, You know what? I'm going to train you guys in how to, d- to discern. And react properly to instances of conflict at the early level when the flame just starts. He took them through a thing called Peacemakers by Ken Sandy. Really good book, by the way. And so, but it's not just the deacon's responsibility to protect the unity of the church, it's everybody's responsibility. So when you're engaged in conversations and they start to go in a direction that you know is not healthy, if it's gossip or just whining for the sake of whining or being selfish or breaking confidence. You know, a lot of things that's where you step in and say, you know, hey, by the grace of God, let's protect ourselves and the unity of this church. And so I, I don't know that that happens here very often. I, I really don't. Like I said, there's not an agenda here trying to address a hot spot that I know of, but I think this is biblical admonitions that are relevant for any church. So let's be peacemakers and to help promote the, the unity and focus and effectiveness of this church because we've got a lot of people moving into this area who need the gospel, they need a church and we wanna be healthy and culturally healthy for those people as well as for ourselves and our own kids, okay? So let's pray to that end. If you're, if you're not a follower of Christ and that should be obvious because... You'll know if you are or not. If you're a, not a follower of Christ, there's a prayer room right there. It's about a 10 feet walk for some, 30 or 40 yards for somebody else. But that that could be the most important move you could ever make to talk to somebody about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. Lord, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for these that lead us in worship. And we pray for your spirit to work amongst us. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.